Good morning. I'm Joel, one of the pastors. It's good to have you here. Who is ready for the Word of God? That's what we get to do. I love that. I just heard, let's do it. We are bringing 1986 commercials back. Um, I love it. Let's do it. We're going to jump into Hebrews chapter 5. I want to encourage you to go ahead and take the Word of God if you brought it. I think there's just, I, personally, I'm old school, and there's nothing like holding the Word of God right here. If you have it on your phone, though, or iPad, whatever it is, pull that out if you would. Uh, you're going to want to look at some things. I'm going to get you to highlight as we walk through some stuff. But as you turn to that, Hebrews chapter 5, and we're walking through the book of Hebrews, we're going to do it this fall. We hope to finish by Easter. That's what we're doing. Um, we know how it goes around here, right? Um, so here's my question. When you woke up this morning, it's the first thing you do when you wake up. And just think about it. For everybody, when I say one, two, three, everybody say the first thing you typically do when you, when you wake up. Don't lie. Don't be like, I read through the Bible. Uh, all, right. Um, all right, just say what it actually is. God will know if you're lying. Okay, ready? One, two, three, brush my teeth. Go back to bed. No. Brush my teeth. Even God told me, he's like, Joel, before you talk to me, you need to brush your teeth. Um, so that's what I do, brush my teeth, and then I just jump into prayer and just uh, some time of just offering my family to God, offering primarily decisions, wisdom, discernment that I need in life of making decisions. Um, people ask, kind of, what do I do for a living? I tell people I get the joy of preaching the Word of God, and I make a lot of decisions. And so I just need lots of prayer and wisdom, so I pray for that. That's how I start every day. Same thing. And I just go before God, I'm searching it out. And uh, my question for you, I tell you all that because you woke up with a certain thing. Some of you go, man, I, I, I jump in the shower and I do this, this, whatever it is. Or I just go downstairs or I go across the hall, whatever, and I have something to eat. Whatever you do first. But did you wake up today, this day, did you wake up going, man, God's going to mess with me today. He's going to change me, transform me, grow me, show me a greater picture of sanctification so that I step in to a greater understanding of the miraculous God who created the universe. Or did you possibly wake up and go, well, it's another Sunday. What do I do on Sunday? I go to church. Let's go. You get dressed, grab your kids if you have any call a friend or check your email, your Facebook, all that, because those things have a hold of our heart, right? Let's be honest. The first thing you do is check social media. It's got the wrong place in your life. But we wake up and we go, okay, I'm going to go to church now because this is what I do. Anybody wake up this morning going, man, it's time to go to church. That would be all of you. You're here. Raise your hand. Any of you wake up and go, man, I just cannot wait for God to change me in a way today so that I never Never remain the same. Do we believe that transformation is a continual process? Yes or no? Yes. The sanctification, that's a, that's a biblical understanding. Sanctification, transformation, it's something that's going to mess with you. So my thing is, we came together. Look around. Is the place full? Yes or no? Yes. yes that's awesome. God's working at Chapel Point. Amen. But if you show up with this many brothers and sisters in Christ, not expecting the God of the universe to mess with your heart and to transform you and to change you, to thrust you forward in the name of the word of God and all that it speaks to us about as it shapes us and as the Holy Spirit indwells within us, there's something wrong with that. We are not to remain the same. We're to continually grow in Christ Jesus. So did we wake up today going, man, everything in my life, my marriage, my family, my kids, my business, my friendships, my college, my career, everything in my life is about to change because of the power of God. What if that were to happen? Should it happen, yes or no? Then why doesn't it? 
You see, Hebrews chapter 5 is a, is, is a passage I think is astonishing to me. I call Hebrews, I, Hebrews chapter 5 and 6 an exhorter's paradise, is what I refer to it as. And if you don't know, I'm an exhorter. So I, I, I just, the, the living word of God, Hebrews chapter 4, anybody believe that the word of God is living and active, powerful, right? There it is. And so it jumps into our heart and it does amazing things, remarkable things in our life. And so here's the author of Hebrews, scholars debate who it really was, but here, here's the author of Hebrews writing to a bunch of people who claimed to be believers and yet they were veering away. They were stepping aside because people were like, wait a second, you're going a little too far with this whole faith in Jesus thing. How about just be like the, the just follow some rules and rituals and practices and traditions. Wake up every Sunday morning and just do your thing, but don't bring it to your work. Don't bring it to school. Don't do it. So that's what's happening in the book of Hebrews. And up until this point, I, the way I would look at it is, if you look at the book of Hebrews, that's why I told you to open up, go ahead and go to chapter 2, because I want to show you some things. Hebrews is being written to these professed believers, and up until this point in chapter 5, I think he's given a lot of um, answers to, hey, there's a bunch of apathy, there's a bunch of people who are waking up every day, and you say you love the Lord, but it actually doesn't really impact anything in your life, let's be honest. Except for when you don't you have things going your way, then you call out to God. And if God doesn't do what you want to do, then you get ticked off at God. That is, a, that is a reality for a lot of people. So then as a result, he's giving all these answers. Hey, you, these are things you better do in response to that apathy, that complacency that's in your life. Um, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1. might want to circle this verse, like just verse 1, so it kind of stands out to you. He says the following in chapter 2, verse 1. He says, therefore, we must pay close attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. So if you don't want to drift away, guys, apathy, complacency, if you don't want to keep waking up on a Sunday morning, say that you're going to encounter the living God and have nothing change in your life. Then you need to pay attention. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1. Pay attention to what's actually happening in your life. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 8, verse 14, and chapter 4, verse 7 all say the same thing, and it says a lot more than this as, as well. But he says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your what? Don't harden your hearts. Don't think you have all the answers. Don't think it's all been predetermined for you. Don't think that everything's going to just go any way you want it to go. Don't, don't do it. Verse 14, chapter 4 as well, over and over, it's several times it says, do not harden your hearts. Don't, don't do it. So he's given, hey, this is how, guys, this is a response. Don't harden your heart so you don't become apathetic. Then he says, um, chapter 3, verse 12, Take care, brothers, lest there be any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. So if you don't want to fall away, if you don't want to become apathetic, don't have an unbelieving heart. Chapter 4, verse 11, I know I'm going quick. There's a reason for it. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest. Let us be diligent. Everybody say, be diligent. Let us be diligent. If you want to enter into rest with God, you have to work at it. You have to give your energy to it. You have to give your time to it. It's just like anything else. If you want to be a great musician, if you want to be a great athlete or good at math, I don't, I don't know nobody wants to be good at math. If you want to be good at something like that, I'm horrible at it. But if you want to be good at anything, what do you have to do? You have to work at it. So listen, here it is. 
Be diligent. Strive to enter God's rest so that you won't be like the Israelites. He keeps referring to that. Disobedient. It's the reason the first generation wasn't able to enter into the promised land because of their disobedience. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14. Since then, we have a great high priest, right? Melchizedek has been spoken about earlier, and he'll be spoken about soon in chapter 5. But then it's jumping into this, and he says, Since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. Everybody say, hold fast. That means we cling to it. If you claim to have faith, you cling to it. So he's giving you all of these answers. If you don't want to be that, do this. If you don't want to be apathetic, do this. If you don't want to be complacent, hold fast. If you don't want to give way to the world, find rest in God, then do this. Make sure that you're doing this and he keeps pushing in on it. And then in, in, in chapter 5, it's almost as though he, he moves from talking about some answers to the real problem. It's like he's like, why did I... If you, if you have a kid who's disobedient and they keep doing the same thing over and over when you've asked them not to, there's usually a deeper problem for it. Why? Right? It's the same. I've told this story before. When I had my first two kids, this is a long time ago, um, I had my first one, um, and everything was great when you only have one kid because you spoil that kid, right? You wrap them in, in bubble wrap, and they're always safe, and it's all nice, and look at us. Then you have another kid, and things change. Amen. Anybody? It changes. And so my oldest started hitting my second one. Well, the hitting wasn't the problem. The problem was my first didn't have attention anymore all the time. And so as a result, this is parenting rule. You can pay me for this later. We stopped giving attention to our oldest who hit the little one. We, only, we would just swarm the baby with attention. Guess what the older one stopped doing? Hitting. Because they were seeking attention. That's what they ended up doing. So all of a sudden, what you have to recognize is that we need to learn and go, wait a second, it's not just the answer. You have to acknowledge the real problem here. And that's what happens at the end of chapter 5 specifically. That's what happens here because it's this thing called apostasy. He's giving warnings of apostasy. Apostasy is very, very easy. If you go to chapter 5, probably above uh, verse 11, it says warning against apostasy in the majority of translations. But it is a formal disaffiliation or a formal abandonment of a professed faith or a religion. And you've stepped away from it. Now, has that happened today? Yes, it's happening today. Is this relevant today? Yes, it's relevant today. Why? Because it's the living word of God. We don't get that these are more than words on pages. And it will continue to happen. Why? I think in the church, one of the reasons why is we've done a horrific job teaching about who God really is. We think he's here to come, and if I call out to him, he's going to meet every need and every desire that I have. That is not biblical. Whoever you have been learning from, they have taught you poorly. We're here in grace, knowing that we can't do enough to earn anything because you think you're a good person. You're not a good person. No one is good other than God, other than Christ. And so through faith, through grace and mercy on his behalf, we can enter into a relationship with him so that we seek and desire him more than we seek and desire for him to do our will. We're desiring to do his will. Yes? That's the word, that is the word of God. 
you may not like what it says, but it is the word of God. I'm not here to tickle ears. I'm here to speak truth. And so right here, there's this giant warning of apostasy, and he starts addressing all of it, and he calls it out in verses 11 through 14. Now, thankfully for you, these are the only verses I'm tackling today. Hebrews chapter 5, 11 through 14, will you stand for the reading of the word of God? And it says, About this we have much to say, and it's hard to explain since you have become dull of what? For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you, again, the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the what? For those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. This is the word of God. You may be seated. So he's letting us know the real problems. Here's one, another way to think about what the primary theme of this message is. Because I am praying that you're going to shift in this moment. I know the majority of people wake up on a Sunday, as they do every other day, and they already have their routine and the ritual of what they're going to do. We don't necessarily wake up going, God's about to do something radical in my life. Right now, I believe God is going to do something radical in some of your lives. I truly believe that. He did in the first service. I believe he's going to do it again. This is what I've been praying for. It's the very reason I didn't come to church last night. Because I told my wife, I was like, I can't go to church tonight. She's like, why? I'm like, because I'm going to ball like a baby. God's already, he's sitting here. And so he's giving these warning signs and he's letting us know this theme of shouldn't you be further along already? Shouldn't you already be further along in your faith? That's what Hebrews 5, 11 through 14 is. We'll continue with Hebrews 6 in the first half of that. But shouldn't you be further along in your faith already? Should, shouldn't you be further along? Why? Come on. Anybody know the guy by the name of Charles Spurgeon? 160, 70 years ago, preaching all over the place, led a revival, right? He came to know Jesus Christ as a teenager. Within his first year, he was preaching the word of God, leading, move, leading movements of God. Right? How many of you have claimed to know Jesus Christ for more than five years? Raise your hand. How many of you have known Jesus Christ less than two years? Raise your hand. If you've known Jesus for more than five years, raise your hand again, please. If you've known Jesus less than two years, raise your hand again, please. I saw three hands. So we're, we're saying, here's a warning. I got my warning light back, back out. Everybody loved it. Everybody's like, I love the warning light. <laughs> Matthew chapter 28, something called what? The great... Commission. Go ye therefore. Make disciples, all nations, every one of them. Baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Let's go. You, there's a, if you're not speaking of Jesus, I think there's an argument of whether or not you know Jesus. Now, the good news is this 
if this number of people, because there's a giant warning light happening right now, right? And if, the major, if all of us have known Jesus for more than five years and we actually catch the flame of Holy Spirit indwelling our lives, I'm going to bulldoze that wall so that we can fit the number of people as you start to actually tell people about the saving grace and the power of Jesus. Did you wake up today ready for God to do something greater in your life than you've ever encountered before? Or did you wake up and go, well, it's time to get dressed. What sweater, honey, am I going to wear? I'll go get in the car. Maybe they'll have good coffee. How about this? Honey, we just woke up and we're about to encounter the living God. So there you are, the son, and he's like, listen, shouldn't you be further along? And he makes five charges against the believer, who, the person who professes faith, but you've got to be, be very careful about belief and about faith. Because even the demons believe and they shudder, right? But it doesn't mean they have faith in Jesus Christ. So simply, he's like, those of you who, who say that you believe, and he's telling I believe, for those of you who are doing that, he offers five charges, warning shots across the bow of the ship. If you don't want to sink, you need to listen. And here are the five charges. First thing he does is say, man, one, Hebrews chapter five, about this we have much to say and it's hard to explain since you have become dull of what? Hearing. Now this is not about physically hearing. This is about your heart condition. In Greek, the word dull, was a, it was a word that referred to someone who was sluggish or lazy or careless. I would say spiritually apathetic. And so some of you, you're, you, you claim belief, but nothing in your life is actually happening. You're not leading your homes. You're not speaking to your family. You're not telling others about Jesus Christ. Guys, when this many people, just in this one service... We got a lot in the first, a lot in the third, right? When this many people are coming to a service, we should be baptizing in the next 10 years thousands of people in the name of Jesus. Because we know the percentages are 30 to 40 percent, max 40, who actually go to church in West Michigan. And only, did you know that 40 percent of them say that they, it has no value in their life? They basically go to keep the peace. Why is it? Because we've become dull of hearing. It's like, it's, it's like get, get the Q-tip out. You got so much wax built up. You have so much tradition and ritual that you've never encountered the Son of God. And so the writer's admonishing the reader in their dullness of hearing. He's like, listen up. Because you think you're mature, but you have dull hearing. You think you're, you're growing, but you're not. And, and I'll give you some quick signs of, of false maturity, okay? One uh, is false spiritual maturity. One is age. We think simply because you're older, that you've gotten older, that you are mature in Christ. That is not true. It should be, but it's not. And if you're in your 50s, 60s, and 70s, 80s, 90s, 100s, whatever you are, anywhere over 55. Let's just say that. You should be the, the longer you've known Jesus, the more passionate you, for, you should be for Jesus. Can we change the stereotype? This is a stereotype. I grew up with the stereotype, and now I'm seeing it's true. And now I'm, you know, as I'm moving in from young adult to older young adult, um, one of the things, don't, don't. Like, just say, yes, pastor, thank you. You're, 
there's a stereotype about old people in the church that they're crotchety and that they don't want to have any change and they, they're going to complain about stuff all the time and the music's going to be too loud and man, if you don't just do the programs that they want to be able to do, there's a stereotype because there's always truth to a stereotype. The more mature you are in Christ, the more passionate you, be, you should be to tell other people about Jesus, not to get your way, but to see the will of God work in your life. Can we reshape the stereotype? You got more time on your hand. It's not to, be, to give more to habits. It's to give more to Jesus. You got more resources at your disposal. It's not so you can buy more for yourself, but so you can invest in the kingdom of God. That's a, age is a false sign of maturity. Intellect can be a false sign of maturity. Read the book of Colossians. It's all about it. Gnosticism. Busyness. It's a false sign of maturity. Title. Or position is a false sign of maturity. Family heritage or legacy, false sign of maturity. Doesn't mean anything. Can it help? Yeah. But it's typically a false sign. So he's like, listen, here's the first charge for you. Man, dull of hearing. First charge, dull of hearing. Second one, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need to be taught basic principles over and over again. You should be further along. How many of you even know 10 verses by heart? Don't raise your hand. How many of you know 10 verses by heart? Because what you put in your heart, what you put in your mind matters. You should know hundreds by now if you've known the Lord for five years. Truly. I tell anybody who wants to go into the ministry... It's hard enough, you, bet I, you know this, I've told you before, but there's a couple of chapters you just need to memorize. If they want to memorize those chapters, I will pour into them. If they don't want to memorize those chapters, I'm out. Because they're not going to take it serious enough. How many verses do we know beyond, right? Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, Jeremiah 29, 11, and John 3, 16. It's because we've not only become dull of hearing, but man, we've got to be taught the basic things over and over again because we're not investing in the word of God. We're not allowing it to become alive and well. I told you this was an exhorter's paradise. And it's a hard message, friends. But right now we have these warning lights flashing and we better be paying attention. He's talking about these basic principles of our faith. He's saying, spiritually, you're younger than you should be. You're 14 years old in faith, and you still don't know how to do basic addition. First grade, two plus two. Following Jesus is not static. It's a movement. Third thing, he says this, you don't know how to choose spiritual food. You got no teeth. You've got no real teeth. And yet it's not that the, it doesn't say that the milk is bad. The milk can nourish you and grow you, but it nourishes you and it grows you to get you to the point of being able to chew the real food so that you can grow even stronger and even more faithful and even more robust in how you serve God and you live that out. And so you look at it and you go, you don't have any teeth. You're not chewing the spiritual food. You're a grown adult. You live in West Michigan. You're a 49-year-old male, which means you're 6'4", 280 pounds. You're Dutch. 
And you got no teeth. You've got no teeth. You're still sipping on a bottle instead of chewing the meat. You didn't get there physically by sipping on a bottle. Why do we think we're going to get there spiritually by sipping on a bottle? And he calls it out. And you're stumbling over what it even means that he's the high priest. That he really is God. Fourth thing is you're unskilled in the words of righteousness. Righteousness is a gift from God to us through his love, a God-given quality imputed to man upon believing in the Son of God. And you don't speak his words because you really haven't allowed his words to soak into your life. And so when people ask you for your advice and your wisdom and your counsel, you actually tell them what the world has told you rather than telling them about the word of God and how it's alive and it's living. And there it is for us to chew on and to absorb You're not speaking words of righteousness. You're unskilled at it. Again, these are warning lights. I should just wear this. You guys would love that, right? And it's a giant warning light over and over flashing. And I know we don't like that sometimes because it it brings conviction into our life. But that's what this passage is saying. I'm not here to tickle your ears. I'm here to speak the truth of the word of God. And so are you paying attention to the warning signs? He's telling them, guys, you're missing the mark. You got a bunch of people drifting away. Why is it? Continues on in 13 and 14. It says, for everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. And verse 14 says, but solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. So here's the fifth warning is you fail to discern between good and evil. You fail to discern between good and evil. Does anybody see that happening today? Where all of a sudden now nothing is evil, nothing is wrong, just as long as you're chasing your desires and your dreams rather than chasing who God has designed you to be. And so nothing's wrong anymore. And so there's a failure to recognize, to discern between good and evil. And we need to understand that feasting on God's word, living a life for him, is is primarily, guys, more than anything else, it's a moral challenge. It's not necessarily an intellectual challenge. When you feast on the word of God, it is first going to convict you morally about who you are and how you're living. So it's first a moral challenge more than an intellectual challenge. It's going to challenge you and put in your face, what is it? And that's a great question. What in your life that is evil? And evil is not just, oh, that's Satan and it's so glaring and obvious. Remember, he's a deceiver. He starts with the small. So evil is anything that is distancing you from God, right? It's making you take one small step away from God. We speak about that a lot here at Chapel Point. It's one small step away from God, right? That's how Satan works. It's one thing after another. And there's some things in our life that we know are against the word of God that we have allowed to become good homosexuality it's not bad that's not come on it's my heart guys I, if you're if, if you're consider yourself to be attracted to the same sex know this god loves you i love you but if you're practicing that that is outside the will of god but i'm telling you now i love you 
I really do. We can disagree about it even. But my disagreement is going to be with you. My goal in life as a believer in Jesus is never live in opposition to the word of God. And as soon as you sacrifice one area of the word of God, you sacrifice all of it. It's a matter of your opinion at that point. So what's happening in our churches today. We've allowed evil to become good. And as I've often said, what a church, any leader, it doesn't matter who you are, what you are, what you remain silent with, you will become agreeing with in, in short time. What you remain silent with, you will begin, you will, in time, you will start to agree with it. You will, you, will, you will start to walk forward in that manner. You fail to discern between good and evil. And the writer's pointing out how to become a full aged, mature believer so that you can discern good and evil. What's the evil in your life that you are now referring to as good? For some of you, it's social media. And you go, on social media, pastor, lay off of social media. Well, some of you, that's where you find fulfillment and contentment. It's the first thing you do when you wake up. Did I get, did I get friended? I know, okay, fine. You got 1,400 people who've liked you. You don't even know 1,400 people. Get over it. They've liked you primarily so that you will like them back so that they can increase their numbers. So now you're just running a rat race. That's all that it is. We have thousands of people who go to church here. I, guess what? I hate to tell you this. I don't know all of your names. I don't. But God does. And God loves you and he adores you. And we have people who do want to know your name, who wants to they want to invest in you in those small groups that they were speaking about before and to be able to push you toward Jesus Christ. For some of you, it's premarital sex. No, have you noticed in our society today, that's one of those things that's evil, that's against the word of God, that has become justifiable. It's like, well, I mean, it's not even spoken about anymore because we see all these other sins as being greater than. But listen, if it's against the word of God, it's against the word of God. Premarital sex is one of those things that we've said, fine, it's just part of life. People are going to have it anyway. Not if you love the Lord. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. For some of you, it's pornography. Well, it's just part of what it's going to be or masturbation or whatever it is. You're like, this is just part of life. And we're not addressing the real issues. And so we step into those things and it just leads us down a path of stepping further away from God. And here the author is shooting the warning, right, over the bow of the ship so our ship doesn't sink and saying, you better pay attention. The warning light is on and it's flashing. And now you don't even know how to discern between good and evil. That right now you're not living by faith. You're so achievement-oriented that you don't know what faith and grace and mercy actually is. You're so focused and oriented on what your title and your position is that you have forgot to live as a child of God. That you're so focused on how many friends like you on social media that you don't know what the Word of God actually speaks into your life. If we would spend as much time in the word of God as we're consumed with what others may or may not think about us, the world would change. And so it's a warning sign. I mean, did you wake up today and say, you know what? Sanctification, transformation, it's a continual process. And so as a result of that, God is going to ravage my life in the best way possible. And I'm going to seek after him. So that next week when pastor says, hey, how many of you have known Jesus for less than two years? We have 
dozens and dozens because I want to tell everybody about the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. It's time for the church to wake up. And I truly believe that everything that's happened, even in this ministry, is nothing but a precursor for a movement that is to come in which we give millions away to missions, but we also see thousands come to know Jesus Christ. They will bow on their knees and profess Jesus as Lord. But you have to be a part of it. And here the author, I know we just want all the grace and the mercy, but the author is saying, warning, 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 and we're not paying attention. Men, fathers, some of you don't know how to raise your kids in a Christ-like home. You don't know how to teach them the Word of God. Can I tell you what to do about that? It's very simple. Say, hey, kids. I need to do a much better job raising you according to the word of God. I don't know exactly how to do it. I'm sorry, but I'm going to figure it out. Let's go. It's a great place to start. And you grab their hands and say, God, give me strength and wisdom to know how to lead my family better. Done. Start with that. Some of you don't know how to live in, without anger and resentment and without bitterness. And so you just, here's how you can do it. You can go to God and go, you know what? Thank you for your grace, for your mercy. I surrender anger and bitterness to you because you have replaced that with faith and hope and comfort. I'm in on that. Anybody else in on that? I believe it's time. I believe it's time for, even though maybe you didn't wake up today and go, God's about to change my life, I believe it's time for God to change some lives. For you to allow the conviction to fall upon your life and to start recognizing what is the evil in your life that now you're justifying as good. I believe it's time. And so what we're going to do today is I'm going to give us an opportunity. We don't do this typically, but we had to take a row of chairs out. But I'm going to give you an opportunity to come forward to an altar and to simply actually acknowledge and let people see you say, you know what, it's time for me to acknowledge, to come before the Lord symbolically and say, you know what, here's a warning sign that I'm identifying with. Here's something that's in my life that I need to shift and change. And so I'm going to come before the Lord and offer it to him because no more. Am I going to allow that to continually happen in my life? No longer will I justify evil as good. No longer will I not lead my home. No longer will I live in anger and bitterness. No longer will I live with pride. No longer. And so you, you just say it's time to truly be transformed. And some of you need to come to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior to place your faith in him. It's time. So I want, we're going to sing a song here in a moment and give you that opportunity. We're going to have some elders up on the sides as well. If you just want someone to pray with you, we want to pray with you. But I just want you to sit with this. I, I wrote something out the other night. This next song, the pastor Nathan and the team, they're going to sing. They started singing this song, and within about six minutes, I started just writing. That's how God works sometimes. And this is what came out, and maybe some of this will resonate with you. It's just called, It's Time. Just perhaps... For the person sitting in the chair, or even the church who sees only a world falling apart, it's time. It's time to recognize 
that our transformation is from the love and the blood of Jesus and that it's real. It's time. It's time to recognize that everything until now has been in preparation for a revival, a movement of God that we have never known before. A movement of God rarely known and only occasionally spoken about. It's time. It's time for marriages to bow in humility. For men and women of every age to embrace a faith only dreamt of by the masses. It's time. For the young to learn and for the young adult to mature, to claim our sin and to live in grace. It's time for the church to uncross our arms and to lift our hands in worship and amazement. To cast aside the timidity that comes from the unknown and to raise our praise to the one true God. For the church to lead all parts of our culture, starting with the kindness only seen in Christ. To not come to church and to relieve our faith at the doorstep, but to take our faith into our businesses and our schools and our homes and our relationships. It's time to humbly surrender so the world will see imitators of Jesus. It's time. To tell your neighbor about God and to allow scripture to guide your life more than the friend who is lost telling you what to do. It's time to release insecurities rooted in lies and spoken by the devil. To live in grace and freedom known from claiming faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, it's time to acknowledge your pain, your hurt, your brokenness, and to claim the life of fulfillment that is found in God. It is time to surrender our pride, our guilt, to a God who cares, and to offer our families, our time, our energy to the only thing that really matters, Jesus. It's time to allow our ears to tune in to a God and to hear him with clarity and power, to move from sipping milk to begin chewing on steak, to acknowledge the evil in our lives and to never confuse it with the goodness of God. It is time. Will you make the journey to your knees? The journey is roughly two feet no more. Two feet from standing on your feet to kneeling on the floor before the Lord. It's time. It's time to speak Jesus over your home, your spouse, your children, and your friends. No more silence. No more. May we speak in the name of God and his power and his strength and his resurrection, knowing that the resurrection is real and that God is alive and well. It is time. It's time to speak Jesus regardless of a world that screams self. It's time. Will you claim the power of Jesus? Regardless of waking up in the morning and brushing your teeth and getting dressed, expecting for God to do nothing different in your life, it is time to recognize that our God can work in any situation, any person, at any time, and redeem and renew. It's time to actually believe in the power that we have professed since our youth. It's time. He is waiting. 
men and women, boys, girls, it's time to take hold of the word of God, to let it penetrate every callus on your heart, to let it soak into your soul, and to pour forth from your mouth. It is time. It is time. It is time. Can we stop playing the game? Can we actually live in our faith, professing Jesus Christ as Lord? Can we live as though we actually believe that he can renew and redeem an entire world so that we will profess and praise him now and not just in a life that is to come? Can we recognize that it's time to allow our homes to be consumed by the empowering of the Holy Spirit? To allow our tongues to be controlled by nothing other than Him. To allow your desires to be His desires rather than asking to fulfill your evil will and desires. Can we recognize it's time, it's time, it's time, it's time. There's a giant warning light going off. It's time.